your newsletter is a bridge to building a relationship with a customer that you can't build elsewhere. It's, it's a written TV show in many ways. The same way somebody would sit down to watch The Bachelor at Tuesday at 8 p.m., your newsletter is the same thing. That's how I try to envision your newsletter. You don't just think of it as like, what's something I could get in their inbox? No, it's something that you make part of someone's life. Welcome to another episode of Hyperia Presents. In this episode, I talked to Alex Garcia. Alex started a social media agency straight out of college. He used his experience promoting his self-made gym equipment to market other brands. When the pandemic hit, it was a moment where he could reflect on things and he decided to apply for a job at The Hustle. He got hired, of course. In this episode, you'll learn how to scale your newsletter and what kind of tests you can do to know what resonates with your audience. You'll also learn a great trick how you can get better at marketing every day. My name is Anik, co-founder of Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Alex, great that you can join us. For people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a marketing nerd and wannabe athlete. I grew up mostly in the athletic realm, playing football, and never saw myself like becoming a marketer. I always loved business, and it was always something I wanted to pursue down the road. And then I tinkered in marketing when I was like 19, 20, and I fell in love with it. Like I, I and it actually came from originally like traveling and meeting people and getting into like different cultures. And kind of from that, I fell in love with marketing because with marketing, you could do the same thing in many ways, meaning you could connect great people to great brands and kind of build these bonds. And so I kind of, that's how I dove into marketing. But from there, I started an agency called Social First, which was a local agency here in Austin. I'll dive into it more later, but it started as a social agency, then a transition to becoming an ad agency. I did that for three years. Then I joined The Hustle for a year. Then we were acquired by HubSpot. And then I left The Hustle to focus entirely on marketing examine and building that out. And then I joined Gumroad because Gumroad has a completely async work culture where there's no meetings, there's no deadlines, and, and you don't have to like be on call, you know, as they say. And on top of that, you only work 15, 20 hours a week. So I'm able to work Gumroad, right? Like when I want and use Gumroad to fund marketing examine. So that was why I transitioned over to doing that. But right now, yeah, building out marketing examines, what I religiously spent or why I religiously spend so much time behind a keyboard. But yeah, man, that's a little bit about me. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I was surprised because, you know, I know you from Twitter and the things you've done for uh, the hustle and now Gumroad, but I was, I was just checking your LinkedIn profile and fresh out of school, you start your own business, which is, you know, not a lot of people do that. Run us through that. What happened? Uh, yeah, so I think it's in my DNA a little bit. My dad is an immigrant and from Cuba. He came from Cuba when he was 24 and he started his own company. And so like called Enterpower, which is an industrial supply. So he's, a, he's an engineer, but he does an industrial distribution. And so he started his own company for, called Enterpower. And so growing up, I only saw him build something. And I saw him run it. And this is, I think, maybe something that's like inherently in immigrants, but I saw him run it as like a one-man shop, like, I got it. Like, I don't need any help. And like, I, so I just watched him do that. And so I actually tinkered with building other things as I was growing up. So I'll give you an example. When, like I told you, I was, I was huge into athletics, big into, I played college football and I was huge into weight training. That was like, when I was younger, I really wanted to build out a facility for athletes. And so at the time I couldn't afford weight training equipment because it's, it's expensive, right? Like any weight training equipment is very expensive. It could be thousands of dollars. And so what I did was my dad and I, we learned how to weld and like, we learned how to cut metal. We learned how to do that. And so I started building my own 
weightlifting equipment, like heavy duty machinery. And then so like, because of my dad's background, et cetera, he was able to teach me that, but we were also able to get like a steel on the metal, like for very cheap, because he used to work at some factory when he first came to America. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's a business opportunity. Like we could, I could manufacture this at home in my backyard, literally like weld in and like have these tables out here and like build all this weightlifting equipment and then I could sell it. And so I didn't even like process what I was doing at the time, but I'm like, I started building a small business. It was called Conjugate Fitness Training Equipment. I think it was something like that. If you go on Instagram, like you'll literally see all the things that I built and would sell and whatnot. And I think this was like 2012 or something like that. And and this was like before I started realizing I kind of had like these like marketing chops or like I liked marketing because I noticed and I only do this like connecting the dots previously was that I was using Instagram as like this channel to actually sell all the equipment. I would like find different gyms and whatnot on Instagram. And then I'd use like a scraper and pull their emails from LinkedIn and like cold email. And I'm not even kidding. Like at whatever age I was, 17, 18, I was making like 700 to thousand dollars a weekend just doing this. And so I would say like, that was my first like kind of like little thing that made me fall in love with business and building something. And then, so I went to college and I stopped playing football. And when I stopped playing football, that's when I kind of had like this weird identity crisis. Like what, I, like I, my whole identity was wrapped in, in sports. And so that's when I kind of mentioned that I started traveling and like experiencing different cultures, meeting new people. And I, and I really started becoming a content creator on the side of photography and videography. And so that's kind of how it first started was I started just kind of diving into making travel videos and like those little like tinkering in, in that world. And then I started falling in love kind of with, okay, like you could do product videos, you could do like all sorts of different types of video work and content work for different brands. And so I started first doing it for free for different brands here in Austin, tinkering with it, seeing how the market responds to it, how it drives business, how their customers respond to it. And then after seeing it was successful, I turned it into an agency and, and it first became a social media agency where... We started working with local brands here in Austin, Texas on all their social media needs. From there, then it, it scaled to becoming a performance ad agency where we then just focused on ad work for different clients. And so within a three-year span, we worked with 30 plus different brands and it started from first like local brands, you know, like our first client was a coffee shop here in Austin. And then it scaled to brands like Onnit, which I'm not sure if you're aware of, but like brands like Onnit that are now, you know, larger, they got acquired recently. And but then after three years, I was kind of like, I just don't like the agency space. Like, that's not for me. I like to create content. I like more so the media side of things. And so when the pandemic hit and like a lot of clients were just like put on hold or put us on hold as well, it was like, I got the perfect bridge to start something new, to start something different and to go down different avenues. By then, did you hire people or did you, was it still a one man show or? Yes. Hired content creators. And so those creator, different creators would be assigned to different clients, depending on their needs. And then on my end, I kind of handled all the paid media efforts. And then I had a developer that was kind of building out the landing pages or building out the funnels, et cetera, for clients. And so that's kind of how we did it there. The way I even got first clients, this could be interesting, was I didn't have like capital up front to pay anybody. So I hired like a, a salesperson to do cold emails and like literally door to door to door in Austin. And then I gave them a large split off their first retainer. So if they landed like a client, they were getting $1,000 from that first client. And then at the beginning, I was like, until we make, we get 10 clients, you're also going to get $100, $150, 
a month per client that you bring in. So that it was like an added bonus. Cause I, when I was like 21, so I didn't know how am I going to convince this 30 year old to work for me? And so that's how I did it. And then it worked and then it scaled. And then I think after like the 12, 15 client mark, it was kind of word of mouth from there. It was just everything grew from clients referring us to other clients. But what I hated is just like, I don't like to be talking all day to people, right? Like, you know, like you, you'll have sometimes like things could be going right, but you could still have like five people complaining to you. And like, that's just not my, like, I, that's not where I would thrive. And that's why then I, I, you know, I, when the pandemic hit, it was like this perfect time to, okay, I could go do something else because like I have the best excuse in the world. There's a pandemic happening. And so that's when I decided, okay, I want to not ditch the, the agency, but let go of the agency, let go of the romanticism, like attached to that, focus on something else. And so from there, I was like, okay, I'm going to join startup. Let me understand how startup scale. Let me understand how they work. And so I was already a, a reader of the hustle. And so I saw that they actually had a position opening at the time for a social role. And I was like, oh, well, this is, this is perfect. Like I just built an agency completely around social media and then that would be my foot in. And so I applied to the job and I think like two weeks later started it. And I don't know if you want me to continue from there, but yeah. How did you, your uh, job application look like? How, how did you do that? The main thing that I did differently was I just designed my, I like literally put creative elements in my resume. So I wanted something to stand out. Most resumes are very boring. And I think like the, what marketers are good at are, is standing out, right? Like you got to be able to stand out and see if sameness and not be like every other bottle at like a grocery store, right? Like you go to the supplement store or the supplements or you're trying to buy vitamins and like they all look the same. Well, if you can make one look a little different, it's like your eyes are going to be drawn there. So I kind of looked at my resume in the same way and just try to do a, a few little different things. And then the thing that got everyone on board was they gave us an assignment for like to tackle. And that's kind of where I hit it. I hit it out of the park, just like with on the content development side. So I got interviewed by like six or seven different people, uh, which was insane. It was like an extensive interview process. And I remember at the end of it, they told me that, so there was like four or 500 different applicants. They told me that every, and I don't say this to like toot my own horn, but they told me that every single one picked me. And so as their like favorite candidate. And so that was like a great feeling to have and, and whatnot. But no, I, I joined the hustle to learn how, how to grow a media company, right? They were one of the best in the world or they are one of the best in the world. And so I got to witness firsthand a bunch of great people do great things. Back up still a little bit, because I imagine that a lot of people, you know, I've hired a bunch of people. I've seen like a wide range of how people apply. Some people just say, hey, this is something for me. I want this job, as opposed to others saying, you know, bringing really something to the table. Hey, I've created this and this. Please have a look. Uh, what do you think? How did you approach your assignment? I took my assignment, like if I was going to hire myself, what would I have to do to impress myself? And so they really just wanted to take like, for me to take like a piece of a, a newsletter it was at the time, like here, take this newsletter piece and turn it into pieces of content. And I went above and beyond, like I categorized my content. I was like, okay, well, here's some that's going to be informational and it's going to be broken down in, in video form. Then here's some that are going to be like carousels. Here's some that would be more comedic. Here are some that will be more like meme format. And I basically broke them down into different categories, what a consumer would get out of these categories. So one would be, like I said, like kind of, I remember one that stood out big was something for, I think it was like Bud Light Seltzer. They like, yeah, it was Bud Light Seltzer. And they, it was like something about their, them hitting like record sales or like beating White Claw or something like that. 
and that was like one of the uh, the blurbs from the that newsletter. And so what I did was I knew Post Malone, for example, was like a big ambassador for Bud Light Seltzer. And I found this clip of him dancing of with like Bud Light Seltzer from a music video. I used that as like the clip then with like different information that was like going. So it was like this 15 second clip and it was like a great way to present it. And I knew that would like kind of stand out. I knew most people wouldn't try to think of, okay, well, who's associated with this brand and how can I leverage their personality or what they do to make this information digestible and fun and, and fun to consume. So that was one. And whatever the assignment is, you have to approach it in a way that's like the person interviewing you or asking for this has to be able to look at what you're doing for them and find value in it. Because if they don't find value in it, then the, the job that they're going to hire you for, you're not going to be able to provide value to the external people that you need to provide value for. So it's kind of like this mindset is if I can impress them with providing enough value in an assignment, then I know they're going to want to bring me on for the job. Cool. And you stay there for a year. How was it like? You know, what, what were like the highs and the lows? So when I joined The Hustle, my good friends, Adam Ryan, who is the president, was the president at The Hustle, now started Work Week, which I'm not sure if you've seen on Twitter, but I told myself I would be there for a year. Like, and the reason being was because like I told you, I kind of have like these entrepreneurship chops and I want to do things outside of it. I, I don't like to be like stuck at a, at a job. And so it was amazing. It was like, it was very fast paced. What I learned was you, if you have an idea, you have to take that idea and test it really fast. If it works then you scale it. And if it doesn't work, then you ditch it and you move on and you keep doing it. That's kind of the main thing I learned. I joined at a weird time. So I joined at like the height of the pandemic. So I wasn't able to be in the office and be around a bunch of people as, as much as I wanted, but it was amazing to see them scale the hustle, scale trends. And then for us to then get acquired uh, in February by HubSpot, I think that was like a very interesting process. And then, you know, like I started on a social role, then I got promoted to then a marketing manager role and, and helping build out my first million and working closely more so with the growth team before leaving. Because like I said, like marketing exam and start taking off and getting momentum. And it was like, okay, I have something on my hands that it's better to act now on it than to wait and let it you know, die down and try to like resurface it, re-resurrect its momentum. And so I decided to leave there, but that whole team is, is amazing. It's a team full of superstars that really know what they're doing and know how to grow things. And so like, it was amazing to learn from them, hear from them and see everybody, including myself, like just take things, you know, from A to B, B to C and, and ongoing. I think a lot of people, they have their own newsletter right now. You know, you can't really, you know, say that, I guess, trend is a newsletter, but it's a big part of that is, I guess, a newsletter. What are things that really help scale that, that part of the business? What did you do in test? Like trends that? specifically, or what are you saying? Yeah, or, or, or the hustle in general. Yeah. So I think that the main thing is this, like what the hustle does well, what trends as well is they create an expectation in the consumer's mind, right? Where when you open up the hustle specifically, you know, you're going to get like witty business news every single day. And I think that's the main thing with newsletters that stick right now is that, that you have to create the expectation in the consumer's mind that this is what I deliver every time. So that's why I think like James Clear's newsletter does really well, the 321, because you know, every time this newsletter hits your inbox, you know what you're going to get, right? I think that's what I try to do with Market Examine. That's what Sean Perry tries to do with his. Trends do the same thing with their newsletter, where it's like every time you open a Trends newsletter, you know you're going to be getting delivered business ideas. I think that's the first thing. You have to make your newsletter sticky, right? 
I think then what The Hustle did very well was they used The Hustle as like a bridge to get paying members, which is now what I'm doing, for example, with, with Marketing Examine is I'm using The Hustle as my bridge to get paid members for Growth Marketing Examine. And that's the best thing. I, I wrote about this yesterday in, in the newsletter that went out is for paid members is that newsletters are bridges to infinity, meaning your newsletter is a bridge to building a relationship with a customer that you can't build elsewhere. It's, it's a written TV show in many ways. The same way somebody would sit down to watch The Bachelor at Tuesday at 8 p.m., your newsletter is the same thing. That's how I try to envision your newsletter. You don't just think of it as like, what's something I could get in their inbox? No, it's something how this is your newsletter is something that you make part of someone's life. And so the more that you can make your newsletter a part of someone's life that they look forward to, the stickier it's going to be and the better you're going to be able to use it to bridge to wherever else you're, you're trying to build. Yeah. So it's basically like a TV format, you know, it needs structure. So people have something to look forward to, but then, but besides the structure, you know, the, the, there needs to be a lot of juice in there. So how do you get that in there? Yeah. So I think the best way really Twitter, Twitter's like your, my, for me, it's like my testing grounds. I test things on Twitter. If it sticks on Twitter, then most likely it's going to stick in a scaled format in my newsletter is how I see it. The other thing was when I first started marketing exam and all I was doing was taking my threads and turning them into a newsletter. And then once that I kind of had like my moment of, I was done writing my, like I did this 50 threads over 50 days thing. And once I was done with that, I knew, okay, well, I got to create that expectation. It can't just be these threads anymore. And so I had to find a format that, again, like was valuable and, and that was bringing value anytime you opened it. And, and so what I came, I started testing within the email, different formats, different content formats. So I, I first started Five Tactic Tuesday, where take copywriting and give five tactics based on copyright. They did well, but then on Thursdays, I would send what's called a Thursday teardown, where it was like this like mini deep dive case study on any brand and, and like something that they did that was extraordinary, like a real world class marketing strategy or tactic that they used. What I noticed was Five Tactic Tuesday had a higher unsubscribe rate than Thursday Teardown. What I also noticed was my one, the open rate was higher as well on Thursday Teardowns and Five Tactic Tuesdays. And then the main thing was I got way more replies on the Thursday Teardowns than the Five Tactic Tuesdays. Once I started noticing that more people were replying to this email, then I was like, okay, I got something on my hands. This is much more valuable. People like this more. It's like these very condensed case studies in their inbox. They see something that's been done by another company, proven, and then I teach you how to replicate it for your company. And so that was kind of how I tested it. And then eventually I ditched the Five Tactics Tuesday. Not that they're not getting value from it, but even when I asked readers, like, what would you rather have? Most of them said they'd rather have the Thursday teardown right? They knew what to expect in that. Like every Thursday they would get like these mini case studies. And it was that five tactic Tuesday wasn't good. It just wasn't great. And I'd rather have something great in your inbox because that's going to make you want to open the next email. That's really interesting. And so we, with High Fury, we have like collected about 5,000 emails so far. We're emailing another 5,000 people, people who, you know, subscribe to us in the past couple of years. So we have at least 11,000 people emailing. And yeah, I can see also like when we email our growth notes, you know, subscriber, unsubscribe rate is low. We get a bunch of replies. Now we want to test a new thing, but we're like, we're pretty slow, I'd say. Yeah, we've not really changed our structure of growth notes. You know, how would we change something like that? How would we know what to improve, what to remove? Sure. Yeah, I would take my, whatever my least engaged audience is, and I would test like a, a series of four different emails on them. So like, get four different ideas and send it to them 
and see if they open it and see if they respond. If your most unsubscribed or most unengaged subscribers sub- engage with your content or engage with it, reply to it, or find it delighting, then that's what I would roll with. And then I would test it on a, a, like a bigger group of people, maybe like your individuals that like engage with 25 to 75% of your emails, test it on them, like take the top two and test it on now on a bigger scale. And then whatever is the winning piece, then now you deliver it to everybody ongoing. But that's how I would do it. That's, I mean, that's how I like test like subject lines, for example, is I, I test them all on my least engaged audience, because if it's going to work on them, then I know it's going to work on my most engaged audience. Yeah, that's a really, really good one. And so we're all fighting for attention, you know, you're fighting for attention with marketing exam and so are we. I like, I don't know if it was the CEO of Netflix who said that, but you know, like other movies aren't our competitors. It's like, I don't know, going to the groceries or going out with friends. It's just everything is actually, you know, your competitor. So we want to look into, okay, how can we get, you know, people seeing Hype Fury more and more, but we still want to stay relevant. And I think a lot of people want that they want to be in front of people's eyes more but how can they how can they do that what would be your tactic i think the biggest thing to improve for nearly any like piece of content is like the time to value so how fast can you get value in front of somebody uh that's someone think uh something that i think i don't remember who who said it specifically but they're talking about social networks like the how fast you could get someone to value in the sense of how fast can you get them entertained when i think of content i think it's the same thing it's like how fast can you get someone to either be entertained or educated? And if you could quickly start doing that, then you build a reputation within that person's mind or subconsciously that my content is valuable to you. And if you could do that over the series of two or three times, you make an actual impression. Like you're not just, it's not just an impression, you're making an actual impression that then is going to get, like my biggest thing is like your content is like a, a retention play. I think that's something that people don't, think of they think of it as like an attention play but it's really a retention play and so the better you can make your content the more you're going to retain someone the more you retain someone the more you're going to increase your chances of them sharing it or talking to someone else about it and so the biggest thing for me is like is that is like using my time to value to improve my retention so that then i could increase my my potential to get attention that makes sense and then i, th- I think like other things is like you got to find if you're trying to grow on like a platform specifically you got to find the platform's growth content is what I call it. It's it's like the type of content that a platform favors, the algorithm favors, and that you focus your your strategy all on that content. So like Twitter, it's Twitter threats. People know now that you could grow on Twitter really fast writing really good threats. But on TikTok, it's using trending sounds and yeah, trending sounds and like there's one other. I don't know why I'm blanking on it. But then YouTube, it's 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 like having a seven to ten minute video on Instagram, it's Instagram reels. So if you're, if you're trying to create content and you're only posting pictures on Instagram, it's like, dude, that was 2017. You have to figure out what they they're favoring right now and optimize for that. So I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, you have to find whatever platform really your audience lives on and then optimize all of your content for its growth content. Meaning whatever the algorithm of that platform favors, create all your content around that so that you're growing much faster than if you're if you're creating content that you're hoping the algorithm's going to pick up, but if it's already favors something, just complement it. Don't try to rewrite what it's doing. Just complement what it's already favoring. And I think that's like what you'll see now is like a lot of people growing on Twitter with Twitter threads because the algorithm favors that. That's kind of my two cents on that. 
Nice. And then I think a lot of people, I think you're the better version of me. I've been doing this for a decade, but I have a sense that you're way ahead of things that I, I've been doing for a while. And I think a lot of people would benefit from knowing, you know, what's like your content diet? What do you consume? Where do you get your ideas from? So people can learn from that. Yeah. So this has the, been the best thing that I've done for myself is every day I have to learn one thing relative to marketing that makes me a better marketer. And so I have this doc, a little Notion page, and every day I attach the one, whether it's a link, it's a tweet, it's an article, it's a blog post, it's an Instagram post, whatever it is that I took, I took value from, I learned something from, and I add it there. And then I write what, I, what it taught me. And so every day I know that I'm, I'm getting better, right? There's like that, I think James Clear constantly talks about like becoming 1% better every day. I just took that and was like, okay, well, here's how I'm going to become 1% better marketer every day. It's like if I actually learn something and, and this is like, eventually it becomes like a five minute routine that makes you way better at your craft. So that's, I would say that's the main thing I do content diet wise, because I actually try not to consume that much content on Twitter or Instagram or whatever channel, just because, I mean, it's such a distraction during the day. How do you decide to, you know, how do you learn a new thing? You have to, you know, you can't make up a new thing. You have to, I guess, see that somewhere or have a book lying somewhere or. That's where I scour the web a lot. And I do, I'm not saying I don't spend time on Twitter. But I'm very selective with my time on Twitter and, I, and I'm selective with when I'm trying to find content. So I'll use, I think it's called the Freedom app, where like I'll block most of my day with, with the Freedom app and block like social networks. And then I'll have like this, this two, three hour span throughout the day where it's like open because it actually like blocks the, the API and won't let it load. And so I'll block it and it, it just won't work. And so when I am, I will scour the web and I'll try to find... There's like, you know, certain people, I either have them on my list or I just search their content, see what they like, because you you know, you could go on someone's Twitter profile and see what they like and those kind of things, because I'm trying to find the best content in the shortest amount of time. Because like I was telling you, like I, I link everything, those places a lot of times are like libraries of content. So I'll, I'll go back and revisit different web pages a lot that have exceptional content, because most likely if, if they have one piece, they're going to have multiple other pieces of exceptional content. So another fun trick, and this is like on YouTube, if you like find a video that you, you like, or that's like very informational, just let YouTube run by itself and play other videos. Because most likely YouTube's algorithm is so good that it's going to find other videos that's like covering that same topic. So I've done this with growth marketing. Like I, I listened to like a video of like Andrew Chen talking about growth marketing. And then like the next video was another great video and I didn't touch anything. So that's another like little tip that I would, I would say is like, let YouTube do its thing because <laughs> it will, it will deliver really good content. But I think even sometimes like my content diet, something I need to improve. And that's why I even lock my phone is because like, sometimes I, I do spend too much time kind of looking at not nonsense, but like content that's not making me better. And I know not every piece of content or everything you consume has to be something that makes you better, right? Like sometimes it's just fun to be entertained, but Sometimes you don't understand how long you're being entertained. And that's when, you know, it, it can negatively impact your day. And then I've realized too that the less I'm on my phone, the more like my, just the more my creative juices will go. And I think that's like something that's almost like you force yourself to think about things in ways that you're not thinking about when you're constantly entertained. Like we're almost like not used to being bored. And so when you are bored or unattached, man, the things that will come to your head is like insane. The ideas and 
my best ideas have literally come when like my phone is away from me. So yeah, that's a, a very good tip for a lot of people. I think I have like, I've probably hundreds of bookmarks in my browser, but I never visit them. I don't remember why I bookmarked something. So I guess I have to start revisiting them and then keep a notion file, get maybe a short summary or what did I learn from this page? Yeah. I would create like a resource library for yourself. Like a, where you have kind of all like, and then you label it by article, tweet, post, YouTube video. And then you kind of like, you link it by the title or by what you learned. And you'll notice like, at least for me, I keep it in my notion. Uh, like I have a, like a command center for my, for notion. That's like where all my stuff lives, where everything for marketing exam lives, what tasks I need to be done. And my library, my content library, my resource center is part of that. And so it's something I revisit. And it's also something that like the individuals that are helping me build marketing examine have access to as well. And so it's like, it's also a conversation. Like we talk about these things pretty often because they'll go in there because I, it's, I'm only curating my favorite content and content that I feel like has actually made me better at my job or what I love to do. And so, yeah, I trying to make it like, I think James Clear talks about this too, but you know, if you're trying to build a habit, it's like the more you see that thing, the easier it is to do that thing. So like if I have constantly play PlayStation or like video games and I, my PS4 is always out, it's higher, much higher chance that I'm going to go and play it because I see it all the time. If it's a way and there's friction to me getting to it and it's a way in the closet at the top where I can't reach or something, then most likely I am not going to all the time, go grab it, set it up, make sure that, you know, put the HDMI, get the controller, you know? And so the same thing, I think it comes with, with your best performing content. If you put it in an area where you constantly see it, you're going to, and in somewhere where you active, you are actively and you're constantly there, then you're going to increase the the number of times that you actually consume that content. So that's what I did with, it's just worked for me. I'm specifically talking for me, but yeah, by putting it on my homepage of my command center, where my business model is, where our strategy is, it makes it uh, something that I constantly go back to because there's so much good content out there and it sucks when you do forget about it because it's fun to, when you first learn something, you're in such a different mindset than you are when you revisit something six months later and you're coming back to it with such like more mature lens with, and like, say you've actually used that tactic or you've used what was said in that article and now you come back to it with a different lens. It's so much better and, and it continues to spur ideas, but that's kind of my my two cents there is you got to make it where you actively see it because yeah the, the browser thing like you'll you're never going to go back to that right like i've done it i favorited so many things and i never go back to it sounds very familiar i think you could you could probably even sell your your library you know i think a lot of people will pay for like your collection but could you do that are you like, can i sell like you can sell the notion file but it's to a bunch of other people's content like, but the curation is what the value is. Like I would pay for having like a curated list of the best marketing examples out there. I would pay for that. I saw other people's content, but it's still like the money is in the curation, I'd say. For sure. I, I mean, definitely something I, I think of. Maybe I'll open it up. Maybe I'll use it as like a lead gen or something, something along those lines. But yeah, it's definitely brought me a ton of value to my life. So, and just doing this has it like honestly made me a better marketer. So it's something I encourage heavily to do is, is to try that, like find one thing every day that makes you better what your craft is. So whether that's art, whether, you know, it doesn't matter what your craft is. 
but try to find some piece of content or something to consume that makes you a little better. So you've been on Twitter since 2017. How did you discover Twitter? Like, you know, everybody knows Twitter, of course, but like, what would, can you get back why you created an account and, and, you know, how did your first year look like? So I actually haven't even like been active on Twitter full year yet. I don't know why I started in 2017, to be honest, because I told you like my, I started more so on like photo and video content. I was also always heavy on like YouTube content. I didn't really produce any, but like I produced more for Instagram and those things. So I never really was on Twitter until I joined the hustle. That's actually when I started to get serious on Twitter and started to try to grow. But like until like this past April, that was actually when I first, I think it was April or March or so. If you go back, like you'll see it. I don't have like a long tweet history. Like I, I literally started trying to grow my account in April when I decided to do 50 threads over 50 days. And I think at that time I had like 500 followers. And so 2017, I probably got on Twitter just to see all the politics on there because it was fun. It was entertaining. <laughs> That's probably really why I, I got on there in 2017. But 2020 is when I really started to take it serious and try to grow on the platform. And I mean, the reason I did that was because I knew I wanted to create a newsletter and I knew the best newsletters kind of stem from Twitter or the best newsletter creators stem from Twitter. You don't really see them on Instagram. Like I follow, I'd say a lot of business folks on Instagram and whatnot, and nobody talks about the newsletter or like promotes their newsletter on Instagram. And I think that's also because of the way the, the it's formatted and the way it's built. It's not like native to try to push your newsletter as much on Instagram. So Twitter was the best bet. The folks I want to get in front of are on Twitter actively all day, shit posting and, and doing their thing. And so it was like just my best bet was to try to grow on Twitter. You mentioned the 50 tweets in 50 days. How did you get those? Did you have the ideas beforehand? Was that also part of your content library? Did you just pick and choose from that? or? Yeah, so it was a mix of a lot of things. It was So at the time, yeah, like I had 500 to 750 followers. I don't remember the exact number when I started the 50 threads over 50 days. And yeah, it all came from either personal experiences, things I was doing for the hustle, things I've done for the social agency, and then things I've read and deep dive that all came from that kind of content library that I've built for myself. And so what I didn't do though, which I wish I would have done was I wish I like on the weekends, I would have wrote like five threads on Saturday and five threads on Sunday. Because what it ended up happening was I literally wrote every thread every day that day. And it was exhausting. At the end of, you don't realize how long 50 days is until you have to do something for 50 days straight. It was exhausting, but it was very rewarding in the sense that I ended it at like 40,000 followers or 44,000 followers over 50 days. And I'll say this with a caveat that at the time, Trung wasn't as big as he is now, but like Trung was at that like 10, 15, 20,000 range at the time. And so like him retweeting my content definitely helped boost it, right? I was able to then sometimes share on the hustle as well. But I think the main takeaway is like from the reason I did 50 threads over 50 days was the more you talk about one thing, you become the person that's known for that thing. And so my whole thing was I'm going to write 50 threads specifically on growth marketing, right? The skills that make a growth marketer because I want to accelerate my formation of an identity. I want to form that my identity as someone that, that knows growth marketing, is, loves growth marketing, talks about growth marketing. So that is now my content plays not as, as something that's reaching people, but now plays as a magnet. Most people try to think of their content as, okay, I post this and it reaches people. 
And the way I see it is, no, if I talk about this and I create content around this, then it's actually a magnet that attracts the right people to me. And so the way I saw it was if I do this for 50 days, I'm going to accelerate that process. And then I'm going to be able to build a bridge to other things that I want to do. And, and so I did the first one and it performed well. Like at the time I, it got like a few hundred likes, like probably three, 400 likes. And I was like, okay, well, let me see what happens if I build a quick squeeze page and I add at the end of this thread, a CTA to get the same thread, but in your newsletter. And then I got a few, like a hundred people the next day when I did it, or like 75, hundred people. I was like, oh, we're onto something here. So at the end of then 50 days, and me only talking about one certain topic, I had formed a newsletter with four, I think it was 4,000, four or 4,500 people over 50 days, but that all wanted to hear me just talk about one thing. And so I think that's like the one thing I've noticed now is like on Twitter, there's a lot of people trying to write Twitter threads to go viral and their only goal is to go viral. So they write things that aren't relevant to what they want to be known for. And they'll like, I mean, something, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like, it's very easy to go viral if you talk about like a Reddit hack or a Google Drive hack or a Microsoft hack. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. You're going viral, but you're attracting the wrong people. And you rather it go not as viral or not perform as well, but you attract the right people. Like yesterday was literally the first thread I wrote that wasn't growth marketing focused. It was like about Airbnb. And it was just like a link to the emails. And it was just because it was a cool story. But I even approached it, like said it in my, at the end of it, I was like, usually I don't write about this. Like I, cause I don't like I, I cause I want to make sure that my content is attracting the right people. Because then if I bridge them to my newsletter and I talked about a, a Google drive hack, they sign up for my newsletter and now they're part of my list. Well, most likely they're going to drop off at some point because they signed up because of a Google drive hack. They didn't sign up because I'm talking about copywriting and they didn't sign up because I'm talking about, you know, acquisition efforts. And so I'm very keen on like, what do you want your anchor to be? And then write about that, constantly write about that. And then, you know, find your, the growth content that you want to use to grow. Because I've, I've seen some that are my friends, like just talk about things that they know will go viral that a lot of people will like. But no, in my opinion, like you want to find the content that is performing, like literally is distributed and is a magnet and is like pulling the people that you want to have in your crowd so that when you try to sell something, if you try to sell something, or if you're trying to build something like an email, a free email newsletter, you want to sell ads within in it and monetize. Well, why would the person that's cared about your Google Drive hack click your B2B, like your SaaS ad, right? Like, and you got to think about that. So when I write my content, like I'm just focused on just hammering my identity in as a growth marketer, or I talk about like what I'm doing to grow what I'm building. And so you started getting some uh, newsletter subs, four and a half thousand and, you know, pretty quickly. How did you decide what to put in the newsletter? Because, you know, I've seen people almost literally copy pasting their threads in email. You did the same, but I, I think after a while you transitioned to something else and then you know, you've now really started monetizing it with, I guess, a, a Gumroad subscription. Tell us a little bit about that. It was kind of what I touched on earlier was after I was done with the 50 threads, 50 days, I'm like, well, if someone's subscribed to my newsletter and they could get the same content on Twitter, my open rate's going to crash. And so that's where I was telling you, I like tested Five Tactic Tuesday. I, I tested Thursday Teardown. I, I tested these different forms of content and then had metrics that would mean something to me, right? Like any metric that... I think there's vanity metrics and then there's metrics that actually, that actually matter. And so the ones for me were my open rate, replies, and then unsubscribe. If I 
tested a new format and I got a ton of replies, less on subscribes and a higher open rate, then I was like, okay, this is a great format. And then I would test it, you know, ongoing the next week. And so that's how I then developed the Thursday teardown. And then how I got to now growth marketing examined was because of the type of content I was writing, which was like these mini case studies, I would get an influx of questions of, okay, well, how can I do this for myself? How can I build a growth? Like, how can I integrate a growth loop into my company? How can I do? And so slightly influenced by like Lenny and what he's doing with Lenny's newsletter, I was like, okay, well, I could do this for growth marketing where I take my subscribers questions and I write like deep dives. So like you want to learn how to get your first thousand, which is what I wrote yesterday. You want to get your first thousand newsletter subscribers. I am going to tell you how you can get your first thousand newsletter subscribers. So that basically like the way I see Marketing Examine, well, a few things like what I'm trying to build with Marketing Examine is Harvard Business Review, but for marketing. So like that's, that's like my goal uh, with the things I'm trying to do. So like free newsletter, paid newsletter, and then I have something else I'm going to release probably early next year. But like the first thing is with Marketing Examine is like I'm teaching you how things were done. And then now with Growth Marketing Examine, I'm really teaching you how you can do these things for you. I'm not going to talk about the third product yet, but like it'll be an extension of that. But yeah, the main thing that I did to like change the content from Twitter threads to and the, the actual meat of the email was I tested different formats and tested to see I had certain metrics like that would determine if this was the winning piece of content or the winning theme. And then I used that, scaled it to now what at least mark, you know, marketing examined is examined is. And then with growth marketing examined, I basically, I used Gumroad one because I work at Gumroad and it was like, obviously like a good, if I did that, like I couldn't launch it on Substack or, you know what I mean? Like, there's no way I could do that. And so I really used Gumroad to ship my MVP. I was like, I hit it, like set a benchmark number. If I get these amount of subscribers, then I'll run with this. If not, I'll literally just refund everybody their money. And I exceeded that. I mean, it's doing great. And, and so now it's just scaling that and actually building the media company around marketing exam. So I just brought on a, a developer full time. And so we're literally building out everything for marketing exam and it, the blog, the, the video library is going to have the membership site. So right now it's living on Gumroad for the, the ease of it, right? It's like very friction. It's very easy for me to just launch it quickly to test, you know, if this is something that's kind of stick or not, and then you can build your own. Uh... Exactly. So that's a kind of what we're working on now is like really scaling this. And my goal with marketing examine, like I said, is, is I want it to be like the best content hub for marketers that you get there. And it's like the time to value, like ratio is just, is so fast. Like you, you get on there and within the next five seconds, you're either learning something or becoming, you know, accelerating something within your job or your startup. And so everything I'm structuring and, and I'm trying to build is to make that possible in a reality. And then the paid products are so that I could fund more free shit. Like so I could just do more free things for subscribers and so that I could continuously provide, put out more content that that's outside of me too. Like I don't want to be the only one producing content for marketing exam. I want to have other people producing content for marketing exam that are just amazing at their craft. And, and so the only reason I'm launching paid products is obviously to help them and to tackle certain problems, but it's so that I could fund building out more free content. And one of the things I think you're doing really well in your growth marketing exam is you also have a lot of visuals, you know, different styles, different value propositions, I guess, per image. How do you come up with that and how do you make them or, or who do you hire? 
I do them all my own. So it's very time consuming. Are you speaking like the case study or, or like the Gumroad sales page or like? Yeah. So for example, you had the landing page, the ultimate guide to landing page. You know, there's a, there are a lot of visuals in there. Yeah. So first off, thanks for being a subscriber because I saw that you were one and that was awesome. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. So that, it took me a lot of time because there's like 30 plus visuals, I think in that one. And so, yeah, that's one of the things that's like literally on the list to do is like, I told myself I'm going to make visual from the visual perspective. I'm going to make the first couple to set like a, a standard. And then I'm going to hire someone that can now look at what I'm doing and be like, okay, now I know what to do. And so the way I'm even going to try to break down how I, I plan on writing these and, and being able to scale this operation is like, so I, I, I send a case study every 10 days, right? That's the, what I do. So like you got one November 10th and then you got November 20th and then you got one yesterday, just November 30th and you'll get the next one December 10th. So what I think about doing is I'm going to create a Notion page and I outline everything, like the main bullet points, the main talking points, what's important, what's not. And then what I'm going to do is, and I have to do that within a five day span. And then so all the research, all everything gets put into that Notion page. Then I get on Loom and I talk for 20, 30, 45 minutes, depending on how long needs to be taken. And I condense everything into a video. And then I get that video to a copywriter and the copywriter then turns it into the rough draft on like day seven, day eight. And then I revise it. And then based on that, I get to someone that does visuals and does the visuals for it. That's the process I'm aiming for right now. I haven't touched on the visual part yet. So far I've been doing visuals. And so like the landing page guide, one, I didn't finish. I sent it out like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. that, you know, November 20th. And I was up probably till two or three, like finishing visuals on that one. I remember like specifically my eyes were just like burning and I was like, like hoping all the visuals are right. So like the next morning I got up early so I could like go back over them. Cause you know, like when you look at something too long, it almost all like seems to blend in. And I was like, <laughs> I want to make sure that that's not happening. But that's how I try to, I hope to plan or plan on scaling the operation. And, but that's also like a challenge too, is like finding a, a great writer that has like a, a knack for marketing, you know, like they have that, that's, that they're able, my biggest thing is like, you got to be able to communicate like complicated things, very simple in a very simple fashion. And so that's like the main thing I'm hoping to, to look for and find in like a good writer is that, but yeah, man, it's definitely the visuals part. It's hard. That part's hard doing it on your own. Well, but then you also know how to, you know, I guess export that, you know, how to, you know, get somebody else to do it. If you know what the nitty gritty details are, then. Exactly. I keep telling myself, it's like, I'm doing it now so that I understand the process. If I don't ever understand what needs to be done, then how can I delegate, right? How can I automate this? How can I delegate this? If I don't even really know what being on the ground and, and doing the work feels like. But then uh, like on the other end, if like you're ever trying to scale something, then it's like, you can't do everything. And that's what I was like referring to earlier with like my, with my dad, I watched him scale, but I, I saw him hit the, the limit. I hit, I saw him like hit the roof where look, you're a one man operation and you can't go past this because you're running out of time. Just because you drink more coffee, doesn't mean you're going to, you have more hours in the day. You just, you know what I'm saying? So it's like being able to see that and be aware of it. Cause oh, that was another thing I didn't do well when I first ran the agency for like the first year and a half, I wanted to like keep all the profit, not really, but like I keep the profits for myself in the sense of like, oh, it's like the agency's making this much. I don't want to pay. Cause I was young. I was like, I've never gotten this much money in my before. And I'm just like, 
like frugal about it. But then I, you know, a year and a half in, I'm exhausted and, and I see the first few gray hairs coming out and I'm like, ah, I need to delegate. Like I need to hire people. I need to, where are my weaknesses? Cause that's exactly where I'm going to hire first when it came to really like producing results for clients. And so that's something that I learned from there. And then I want to make sure I tackle early with marketing exam and growth marketing exam and these other things I want to do because I don't want to hit like areas of just like flat lining and like minuscule growth, right? Like I, I want to be up and trending to the right. And so I know that the more I could bring on people that are better at me in, in a lot of areas, then the better it's going to be for everyone, especially for members and subscribers. Because if I'm not strong in certain areas, then like it's going to only reflect on the work that gets sent to members. And that's the last thing I want, right? Trying to learn as we go, but it's fun. It's fun. Great, man. Alex Garcia, thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. I learned a ton. Where can people find you and what are you up to? Yeah, man. One, I appreciate you so much for having me on and, and I appreciate you for being a member. Literally, I, I did see your name and I was like, oh, that's genuinely very excited. So thank you very much for that. And then secondly, mostly on Twitter, Alex Garcia underscore ATX. Instagram is the same thing, Alex Garcia underscore ATX, but that's mostly just pictures of my dog and nothing educational or anything like really marketing related. I need to do a little more there, but yeah. Uh, and then marketingexamine.com. If Bluehost gets this fixed, then it's marketingexamine.com. But yeah, man, that's, that's where people could find me and, and where we could communicate. Cool. Thanks, man. Thank you. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next show. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave an iTunes review and give us a shout out on Twitter, sharing your favorite part of this episode. See you again next week.